Ready? Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is episode 30-3 and we're your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernil. And every week we listen to great video game music from all consoles, all generations, just just everything. We find great music and we listen to it, we talk about it, and we, we just get into it. Um, so uh, I would say that last week we had a little bit of a gap. So Pernell went ahead and recorded a very special um, bonus beats episode um, with sound alikes, which was really, really cool. Was it hard finding those tracks? Yes and no, because I wasn't looking for them. They were tracks that I came across in my general travels where like you might be listening to a thing and you're like, this sounds really familiar, but due to how much game music I listen to and how many games I've played over the years, it just I would hear something and it clicked, like, I know this track. And I would start running through the, the Rolodex in my head. And it might take me like five tracks that I look up before I pin it down. I'm like, that's the one. That is exactly the one. Do you write Can't them tell down? Me no different. I would have a hard time remembering. That's what I did. Remembering. Okay. Oh, good. I did. I wrote yeah. them down because I kept them on the side because I knew that when the time came, I would have forgotten. So when the time did come, I was like, I'm going to go bring up this document that I kept in my bedstand, nightstand drawer. And they, they were, there they were, so I went ahead and used them. I was like, this is good. And that's also why it'd be cool if other people submitted like tracks for it, because I would like to find more. And I know more exists, but there are hundreds of thousands of video game tracks out there across tens of systems. It is really hard to nail that down. <laughs> so it'll be really hard to find them intentionally, I think. Oh, I think so. so. I really, I think so, too. You'd have to just run into them. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, listeners, um, if you're interested, it's it's only, like, it's less than a half an hour, um, and it is last week's episode. It's Bonus Beats 11. Pernell, I'm going to ask you to um, take your phone and, and move it somewhere else because I'm getting a little is bit Is that of, what's causing that? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> there it is. That definitely was. I was like, I was like, I don't know. Maybe something's happening. Maybe yeah. it's only on my end. Yeah, your phone starts to talk to um, space, and then space talks back, and then we all hear it. <laughs> um, so yeah, didn't say anything weird. I don't no, know what my phone says and it, I It's a really specific sound. It's like almost impossible to replicate. It's it doesn't sound like anything else in nature. I think um, it sounds like a death. It sounds like a frog croaking. <laughs> Like, to a duck after swallowing a Pringle. Like maybe something slowly breaking apart, but it's very digital sounding. Um, you also probably noticed, listeners, that um, Brunel is not in the same room as me. It's just um, just dealing with some more stuff, and so it's just easier for us to record um, remotely uh, this style once more. But we should say that um, our next episode will be, if it's cool with you, Brunel, we'll do our Patreon uh, live episode next time. Yeah, I'm good for that. Just, right. and I, I hope that also might give some people more chance to like get some tracks in, because like I feel like it like it was like scattered. Like some people would remember, go, oh here's a track, and then some people would forget, and there's like something, oh here's a track. Well, it's I've like, realized that like our our scheduling has been so <laughs> we've erratic. Been, well, now it has been, but like for the past so many months, like we've been like on point. End of the month, we do our Patreon show every single time to the point where I, I didn't even announce it. And people are people like, just knew. hey, when's it happening? When's it happening? And people ask us at our Discord. So if um, if you are a fan of the show, um, if you like what you're hearing, you can check out our Discord, which is on our website, rhythmandpixels.com. 
And speaking of asking our listeners and stuff too, I want to bring this up before I forget about it. There were like two things I thought were cool. Oh man, over the last event, you got a vent. Let it all out for now. Tell them. Well, not really a vent. These are good things. (laughs) Venting can happen on another episode. (laughs) Uh, So we have some listeners of the show, friends and listeners of the show. One we haven't heard from in quite a while, actually. They're in trouble. He wrote to us recently. No, no, they're not. This is cool. Uh, apparently, OK Impala, unbeknownst to us, is a is a is a game developer or oh. game designer. Did not know that he wrote to us back on like Halloween about the release of a Zelda 2 ROM hack that he did. Cool. That got a fair bit of press actually. It's called a Midas Curse. Oh and yeah, I think I, I saw that somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I think he sent a link to, but I want to say like Nintendo Life or somebody talked about it. Uh, it's a ROM hack of Zelda 2 that he did, and I'm looking to get it really soon. I've been inundated with like these blasted reviews to the point where like I can't even get to my darn Labyrinth of Refrain. But it sounds like the intent is that it's, it involves dungeons, like the normal dungeons of Zelda 2, but there's a prime focus on world map exploration and dungeon exploration, less so on the battles, more on the adventure. Oh. Which... Sounds like an interesting premise because I do. Also, like one thing worth noting, there's no random encounters on the world map, which oh, I appreciate. I really because like I that. hated those in Zelda Two. If, if you Google this thing, like uh, on NintendoLife.com, they wrote a whole huge, uh, big, big article on this thing, and the uh, <laughs> the headline is that this Zelda Two ROM hack removes all the annoying stuff to present a totally new adventure. And I think yes, that's a great way to put it. And that's what makes me want to try it out, too, because I do find... Because one thing that always messes with me when it comes to ROM hacks, which is why it's harder for me to get into certain ones, is that generally being a ROM hack, they reuse assets from the pre-existing, the currently existing game, and like me remix it and stuff like that, which is cool. But if you're the type like me who's always like, I got to find this new thing, I got to find this new thing. And you're like, but I've already played through all the game's new things. It becomes harder to draw me in but once i'm in on the experience i am locked and that's been proven because i recently got to play the zombies ate my neighbor's rom hack that apparently the guy i know the guy who made that too and i did not realize this um but it's called oh no more zombies ate my neighbors and it's just (laughs) a bunch of new levels the guy made he remixed the level maps he added he put enemies in stages that they normally would not have been in and stole cool things like that and it's fun to play and it made me realize that deep down zombies ate my neighbors could potentially be an infinite game Mm. just give me new maps with the neighbors to find and make me navigate them that's all i want and i'll just play it forever i was thinking like that could easily have been a pc game with like a level editor right Mm -hmm. like that would have been a lot of fun um like uh, and then like yeah I was like, I was like, oh, like I was like, I know, like, I know, you're you're really good at being like, okay, we got to step into the show, I'm like, but wait, we got oh, one more no, thing no, to mention. I, I too. was just, I was just thinking about like how the, the parallels of um of of like early PC mods, um, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about how like um, Doom, Doom didn't really have a level editor, but like the tools were created for it, and then it was widely distributed, and it created like a whole subculture of people making their own like games essentially using doom as an engine you know that would have been really cool for some like and i feel like rom hackers are thinking the same way that a lot of them are developing tools to create new games based on original nes titles or genesis titles 
as as the as the game engine, which I think is, is like, super creative and and really really neat. Oh, 100 percent. And if anybody's listening to this and is hearing what Rob is saying and going, that just seems hokey and ridiculous. Like, no, it's not. And proof of that, I always use this as a prime example because I was shocked when I realized it. No one told me. I just picked up on it. Corpus Party is a very popular horror franchise game or game franchise now. But it originally started as an RPG Maker game. Oh. They made it an RPG Maker as a horror game. It's not an RPG at all, but they use those tools to make a horror game. Yeah, you can do a lot of that. Yeah, RPG Maker is a really interesting game engine. I think there's still there's still versions like there's still new versions of that system out there. Oh um, yeah, and I, I just I, reviewed yeah. the one for the Switch like earlier this year, and I sucked at it because again, it takes a lot of time and a lot of creativity to make this stuff run and do what it needs yeah. to do. I think the one of some of the biggest examples would be Half Life, which was, um, which is a a mod of what was it Quake? Really? Yeah, and then um, uh, Marathon, which had um, I think it was, there was a bunch of mods for Marathon. Which then turned into the Deuce X franchise. But yeah, Half Life was a, was a, originally a mod, and then I never realized that. I was, I was I was never just like you know Valve being Valve. But I guess before Valve became huge, humongous, they were just some guys running mods. Well, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like if if you're if you're going to go out there, if you're going to create a mod for a game, you become a developer. Even if you're just developing like, making uh, levels and stages for an existing game, like you become a game developer because you're, you got to think about all those mechanics and how, how the player would react to things. So. Yep, it's the same reason why you get all these like you go to look at Mario, you look up Mario hacks, and there's tons of them, but very few make the cut. Many of them are just like. Run to the right. Oh, no, there's a block. You're stuck. I'm <laughs> smart. <laughs> like, no, that's not good yeah, level design. That's yeah, just I some see, guy playing with tools. I see some of like the super hard Mario Maker stuff, and I'm like, no, maybe not for me. But I respect the people who want to make it and play it, but I can't. I can't figure but the thing that's cool it. about that, like, I agree. Like, I, I'm not a Kaizo, Kaizu Mario guy or whatever, but some of those levels are mapped in a way that you have to understand the game's physics in such a way that you can make it that the player, you know the player's going to jump from here, which will instinctively put him here, which will make the shell go there, which will then send it this way, this way, this way, and they'll get to the bottom just as your Mario runs across this plate. Like, they do some insane stuff that the player then has to figure, like that one level, for example, the one with the, um, it's like, it's really popular right now, so the one with the fire bars, where you just have to navigate the room for a fire bars to the end. Yeah, it's stupid hard, and I hate it. And I think I may have gotten like a fifth of the way through the stage before I said, screw this. But to sit down and time all that out and measure out how, where Mario would have to be at a certain time and plan the whole thing, that surprisingly takes a lot of effort. And I'm wagering that took a while for that guy to design it. Oh, Even yeah. if it was literally just Mario 1-1 with fire bars. <laughs> it still took a lot of work. Yeah, just so, back and forth, back and forth, testing, testing, testing. You also learn how to t- test games, which is super important, too. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, not enough game testing. Okay, so I, I am going to uh, start start pushing us into the episode now. <laughs> okay, so in that case, then one last thing. This will be quicker then. <laughs> right. No tangents required. <laughs> Got so it. we got a letter from one rage cage yes. and I'm going to hold him to this I'm cool. going to hold him to this uh, he said that the last episode regarding the sound alikes mm-hmm. in addition to the Mahjong bonus beats you did a little ways back inspired him to finally get up 
and bust out a VGM podcast of his own. And to that I say, do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Better to do something than to not even try at all. Worst case scenario, you did it, didn't do what you wanted, and mm. you can try again if you feel like it. But if you never try, you just have this idea sitting in your back pocket that could be a winner. That's, so, that's right. If you like what you're hearing, if you like if you like something that you're doing and you want to try it too, don't think you're just being derivative for the sake of being derivative because whatever you do is going to have a completely unique spin on it and it's going to be your yeah. voice and no one else's. And that's right. And if anything, you're going to learn so much in the process of doing it. It's art art is the same way with drawing, painting, sculpting, any any creative endeavor is always worth doing and sometimes you have to emulate things that you like in order to learn how to do those things so um i encourage anybody to to go out and try it yeah this isn't this is not a narrow tiny little pond that we're all playing in and trying to push each other out we i want everyone to to play and have fun yes just imagine what it could be so many vgm podcasts it could be the vgm podcast network well, it's good because, like, I mean, it happens. Like, things go on hiatus. Things get things go away for a while. Um, and so it's nice to have, like, shows kind of come in and come out <laughs> so that there's always something cool to listen to. Agreed. But, Agreed. Um, but there will and always be Rhythm and Pixels, and there will always be the Legacy Music Hour, except for that one year. Except for the dark year. <laughs> except for the dark ages. <laughs> and then, and who knows, soon we might be able to say there will always be the Rage Cage. Oh, so let's see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to, to, to hearing hearing what he's going to be doing. So um, is there anything else we want to announce other than that we have a Patreon episode coming up next week, which after this episode is released, it is tomorrow. So if you're interested at all about watching us record a show live, it's patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels. I don't know why I'm talking this way. Rhythm and Pixels Live! Thank you, thank you. Yes, it's like he's something, oh, it's like one of those things you see on TV. It's like, Rhythm and Pixels Live, 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 Live. Come Bring see popcorn because we charge too much. <laughs> Come see Purnell talking the microphone. Kids eat free. <laughs> like that. That's right. That's right. And again, bring your own popcorn because we're charging a ton for it. Ooh, we can we yeah, can't charge we can't popcorn. Charge. We can't get it to you. You're in wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just minutes off of I ninety five. Rhythm and Pixels live, 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 live. <laughs> um, and I, I think I'm just saying that because I did go to see a Marvel movie recently. Oh sorry, no, I went to see the My Hero Academia movie recently. And I'm feeling a little on the cheap side lately, so I did for the first time in a long time sneak my own crap in the theater. Oh yeah, no shame either. No, not a drop of it. You got to. I mean, unless unless you unless you you go there hungry and you totally didn't plan, like you got to bring your own stuff. You got you got to bring like a, you got to bring like a, like a, a extra large Wawa hoagie into uh, the movies. You joke, but I have in fact done something oh, done similar. What was I snuck in like a freaking like. Just like weird, like chorizo burrito. One day, <laughs> it was almost like the, at that point, it was just me being brazen. Like, what can I can I get a scented food item in here? No one's gonna smell chorizo on me walking to the theater. They didn't. No. Downside I- is that it dripped all over my pants, and when I left, I had this massive like blazing oh. red stain going down my pants. So there is a it danger. It was worth there's it. There's a danger. Well, there's always the danger, right? Of not just getting caught, but making too much of a mess, and not not just ruining theater but ruining your clothes and i will always i feel bad I, I, this is something i remember but like really early you and i went to like an otakon in like 
99 or 2000 and we were in one of the video rooms watching like live action like kung fu movies or something and like you like in the middle of the room you just like bust out um uh, a tinfoil of catfish and you start eating catfish. <laughs> <laughs> that guy from the soul food joint yeah it's uh, and it's not uncommon for people to bring food in there but like everyone's like is that fish? Someone eating catfish. Damn right, it's fish fried too. <laughs> it's delicious. And I'm like, oh man. Like that's right. You know you want some of this. Don't act like you don't like fried catfish. Yeah. Every everyone <laughs> knew. Everyone knew. I thought that was so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now I've I brought At least in it wasn't all sardines. sorts of stuff. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. Now, I, I brought in food and drink into theaters. The um, it was the last time I remember really bringing a lot of stuff was. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think it was the last one. We went to King of Prussia and we saw like the the midnight showing, like the very first showing, which mm-hmm. was a terrible idea for like a four hour long movie to go at midnight. Watch uh, the sun come up when you. Oh my god! But uh, no, yeah, we brought like so much food in that place. <laughs> Jesus, man! And I mean, admittedly, for that movie, that's the one. That's the movie you do need to bring your own stuff in because you're going to be leaving, coming back. Oh yeah, you'll be there for. Oh yeah, and you don't, and you want to enjoy it. I mean, those movies are so good. I want to watch. I'm, I'm thinking about watching them again. I've seen them so I many can't. times. They, that's the same reason I haven't played Persona Five Royal yet. It's just too much time too for much. a redo. I know, I know, but like especially with this stuff, you can, like I can put it on and like clean the house. Um. Anyway, so yeah, you brought you brought up Persona. So hey, everybody. Nope, 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 no, no, no. Pernell did not bring up Persona. Not, let's not get shot by Megaton Hell. You do not. <laughs> well, I'm just Persona. saying, Persona is a spin-off series of the core series that you and I will be chatting about today. And by chatting but, about, I mean listening to great music from mm-hmm. uh, now, in the core series, Shin Megami Tensei. And it came up because as of the time this episode comes out, the fifth game, the long-awaited fifth game, will be dropping two days afterwards, and that is like the last thing I have to look forward to for 2021, and I've been looking forward to it since it since the Switch came out, because it was announced as being released on the Switch when the system was announced, pretty much. So, I'm anxious, I want it, and it's a good excuse to talk about it again on this episode, is the Megaton franchise. Yes, what episode 1-4 was SMT? Yes, it's a redo. Don't care. Favorite franchise. I think I love it. Okay, so this was our fourth episode that we talked about Mega Ten. I think we're allowed to talk about it again. You know, I mean, that <laughs> Hundreds was, of episodes up later. Now, like, how long ago was this thing? This was 2015. Yeah, December, uh, December 2015. So, yeah, six years. Six years. We can we can do it again. We can absolutely. do and it And one again. thing I wanted to mention because wow, I was joking. <laughs> Oh, oh where you're young at heart forever. <laughs> forever. But like something I wanted to bring up because I, I think it's funny and yet at the same time it's an interesting concept is that over the years, uh Persona has gotten to become really popular. Mainly started after like I want to say the fourth game was what triggered it, but the popularity in the Persona franchise exploded out of nowhere. And what ended up happening as a sort of side effect of that is the mainline franchise, Shin Megami Tensei kind of got kicked to the curb a bit because Atlas was like, well, here's our bread and bunny. Here's where the money's coming from. Let's just keep pulling into that. Which is still kind of funny considering that, you know, the, like, the time between P4 and P5 is a long period of time. But I digress. So, 
there's a group of like more hardcore SMT fans, of which I'm actually considered, I'm technically one of them because I'm in the same freaking social group they're in, um, that literally just hate any mentioning of Persona. It's amazing how vehemently they hate this. Uh, to the point where like reviewers will talk about SMT5, which is coming out soon. And if they so much as mention Persona 5 in their review, people lose their crap over it. And it blows my mind. It really does because two things. One, the, the quickest way for some people to make a direct correlation to something or understand something is to draw a direct correlation to something they understand and already know. And Persona is a spinoff of Megaton. So it makes logical sense to be like, well, this has the same demons that this had, despite the fact that those in the know know which came first, the egg before the chicken. <laughs> um, but then the other part of it that I think a lot that blows my mind, this ties back to what we talked about on the earlier recording of how I said uh, when you're at a certain age within like a, so, a so, social circle, be, uh, you're older than these people, you pick up on something, which is that Persona, like, I got into the SMT franchise because of Persona 1's release in 1997 or 96. I want to say it was 97 hmm. um, in the States. And before that, the closest I'd even come was the release of, well, not even the release, the announcement of Devil Summoner in Game Fan Magazine as a Japanese release on the Sega Saturn, making me think it was going to eventually come here, which made me want a Saturn. And then it never released in the States. And even still, I had no idea Devil Summoner was a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei. I didn't know what the hell that was. Persona and getting obsessed with Persona 1 is what taught me what the Shin Megami Tensei and by extension, the, Mega, the Megami Tensei line was. So Persona is why I know about Shin Megami Tensei and is why I am now in a Megaton group that loves the franchise and also why I'm really confused when people are like, you're talking about Persona, but not this. No, they're all the same. Just play the damn games. Who cares? It's it's, it's nonsense. Yeah. But well, if we're gonna talk at the same time, yeah. don't kill us. If we're talking about some of the the origins of the uh, the Shin Megami Tensei series, um, it looks like the first release was Digital Devil Story Megami Tensei in 1987. Mm -hmm. That's how far back it goes. And then as the games were coming out on the Super Famicom and then on the PlayStation. They did not get North American releases, even though in North America we were playing RPGs and getting into Japanese RPGs. But it turns out that they were really concerned about North American audiences because of all of the weird, not weird, but all of like the religious themes and all of the demons, yes. all that stuff. And I think that kind of makes sense because I, I feel like, like, oh, mom, you know, see, I'm playing a game with dragons and that's cool. Then you're like, oh, oh mom, I'm playing a game where I'm summoning devils. And you, know, like, you also got to remember that at one point, the uh, mom, I'm playing this game with dragons was also considered, oh, this is demon worship. You're talking about magic and dragons. Yeah, there so, was the satanic panic of, 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 the, of the mid 80s. So there was definitely, I think, a little bit of carryover of that um, into the, the early 90s. But the very, and then, the very first... The first game to be localized in North America in the Shimigami Tensei series was Jack Brothers for the Virtual Boy. Virtual Boy, which is yep. and very odd to me. I, I didn't, I mean, I don't know, I don't know anything about the Virtual Boy, let alone the games that were released on it. And I, I don't I think, I don't think I'm alone. Boy, 
All I know about the Virtual Boys, one, I couldn't afford it, and two, I wore glasses, so I couldn't play it comfortably. Exactly. So I just kind of like, stayed in the oh, store. This, this thing came out, and I was like, I can't afford that. And I looked at it, and I'm like, I don't want it. <laughs> like, who, is this, <laughs> who is this even for? Um, yep. That's an interesting idea. There's, there's a really, really good um, uh, 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 Virtual Boy episode on Retronauts podcast where they talk about the development of the system, how it was made, why it was made. Um, it's really cool. Like the, the history of the device is amazing, but the device itself, especially when I was a kid, I was like, this is terrible and terrifying. I don't want to touch it. But, uh, but yeah, so Jack Brothers was like, the, it was a dungeon crawler, came out on the Virtual Boy in like 1995. And then it wasn't until I think 97 that we finally got um, uh, Shin Megami Tensei. No, we... It was here's the, here's where it gets funny. So yeah, what did come you out? mentioned earlier? I remember, I remember seeing Persona for the PlayStation. Like oh, I, oh, I got you. I got this one. Yeah. this will be funny. So, like you mentioned before, you said there was concern about the imagery and such in the game, right? Yeah. So when we got the our entry into the franchise, it wasn't called Shin Megami Tensei or Persona Be Your True Mind, which was the original Japanese name. It was called Revelations Persona. It was supposed to be the beginning of the quote-unquote Revelation series. Uh, <laughs> it's the only game of the Revelation series. Oh, Hold on, I'll take no, Revelations of Demon Slayer. That was on Game Boy Color, um, which was also <laughs> just a port of last Bible. But Persona, for the reasons like you mentioned before, was is probably to me one of the most butchered localizations ever done by a localization company if you look it up it's out there like the amount of nonsense they did to localize this game mm -hmm. and clean it up for with or they thought they needed to clean up for north american audiences is, is laughable um but as a result it got they earned that moniker but it was still fun to play it was just so many dumb things like the thing i always laugh at the most and it goes back to like how i joke about barrett on final fantasy 7 for the same reason is that for some reason they thought that it made sense to turn a japanese wacky kid into a black street thug kid who swore in like every statement and spoke slang like it just he was so out of place and just like would curse for no reason it's like it made no sense but someone in the local thing was like you know what makes sense this guy We'll call him Mark, which was actually his Japanese name too, but or like it was like Masako or something like that. But anyway, uh, I still like the game and I played it incessantly, like to the point where I ran like hundreds of pages off of a friend's printer, <laughs> just printing like the compend the demon compendium and spell guide from Henry Lapierre's original game FAQ. Um, it was I was obsessed with the you game. You remember so. the, the the writer of the FAQ? Yes, I because it. I was obsessed with it. Oh, <laughs> Henry Lapierre saved me time. I just love that there's like, uh, like even down to the history of the game, the history of the FAQ written by a fan, like it still sticks out in your mind. It means that much to you. But um, we should get into listening to some tunes. This 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 show is about music. For now. Yes. If so, anybody's listening, like, where's the music? We're sorry. We're Here's very, coming. very sorry. It's coming. So um, talk a little bit about the history and our history. Let's talk about, let's listen to, and then talk about some music. I think it's you. Oh, right. You starting us off. All right. So may as well start with the beginning of the franchise. And I feel like I haven't picked this from the show yet. So here we go. This is the original battle theme from the game Shin Megami Tensei 1 from the Super Famicom, oh. composed by Tsukasa Masuko.
Welcome back. You're listening to the battle theme from the game Shin Megami Tensei on the Super Famicom, composed by Tsukasa Masuko. So, Shin Megami Tensei is the first of the Shin Megami Tensei line. I want to say it released on the Super Famicom originally in 1992. Could have been 91, but I'm almost positive it was 92. And uh, this game is interesting in that it is a dungeon crawler to the letter. Like, all the dungeon layouts, all the town locations, every place you go is a classic 3D maze. Think like Fester's Quest or something like that, how it was like a bunch of walls, yeah, and 3D walls. hard to figure out where you're going. Yes. And yet somehow, it still remained compelling. And I say this as a person who didn't play it for the first time until he got his hands on the fan translation in like 1998 or 1999. Uh, it's a good game. Uh, it sets up the general dichotomy of what becomes a staple in the franchise, which is that there's a main hero who, through some circumstances, manages to survive an apocalyptic event resulting in the end of civilization as he knows it, and is then forced to embark on a quest to inevitably reshape the world. Mm. And he has to choose between an alignment known as law or an alignment known as chaos. Something that D&D fans know very well. Um, but the main, of course, staple to this that makes it twerk out is the fact that you also have to deal with like demon summonings. Um, using a demon summoning program bestowed upon you by a guy that goes by the name of Stephen, who's meant to represent like Stephen Hawking and the universe. Wow. Uh, the computer allows you to combine demon data to summon demons from it and use them in battle. Um, I can't remember if this game utilized the fr- the pro- this process, but I know at least in future games, like, maybe some spinoffs, depending on your alignment, you could or could not... Actually, not I'm almost positive. Demon Summoner started doing this, but you couldn't use certain demons if your alignment didn't match theirs uh, or if your party alignment didn't match theirs. So, like, if you had, like, an angel and a, dom- a dominion, you couldn't have a succubus and an incubus in your party because they were chaos versus your lawful angels. They would bicker. So. <laughs> well, that that's interesting, and um, that's something like that's a, that's a theme with especially like early, like like '90s and late '80s Japanese RPGs. Is so many of them are based on um, American Dungeons and Dragons tabletop RPGs. You know, the idea of having hit points, the idea of uh, magic points, the idea of um, like a lawful, you know, of, of, of character alignment. All of these ideas came from uh, American tabletop role-playing games um, that were very popular with Japanese game developers and then just translated very, very well into computer games. Um, and so you... Thank you, Gary Gygax. And so you, yeah, exactly. And so you, you start to really see it um, like distilled down into, into um, the Shin Megami Tensei series, um, which... Is just, I mean, super dark, especially for the time. Like, you know, especially considering all the other games that are available for the Super Famicom, it's very, very dark. You know, living, uh, uh, being one person in like this po- this post-apocalyptic world. Uh, but the the soundtrack itself has that feel to it, which is real. I think it's it's unique, not just because it's Super Famicom music, but it's just it's done in a in a very dark, almost disturbing way. Even this battle music, which is fun and fast is like it's kind of it's like off key or something it just sounds kind of weird and there's all of the guitar sounds have kind of like an organ kind of feel to it 
Um, and it's it, interesting you say it's that. A too. Really interesting style. And it's interesting you say that too because uh, at the beginning it didn't come up here because it's a separate track. But at the beginning of every battle, unless you were ambushed, um, the very first choice you have to make is usually you'll see the demons lined up. But then you have to choose if you want to fight them at all. You can choose to talk to them. You can choose to run away from them. And by talking, I mean, like, you can outright negotiate with them to get money or have them join your party or items. And the music that plays then is a little bit more tense. It's like a doom, 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 doom. It's like, make a decision. What do you want to do? You take these guys? Then you can talk them into joining up with you? <laughs> make a decision. You know, and it's... I always feel like a little tense when you're, like, in a new section of the game. It's like, who the heck are these? they up there. Is this a guy spinning in a flaming wheel? I don't know if I can take him. <laughs> maybe I can convince him to work with me, but I have the wrong demons for this. Maybe not. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I like that it gives you that option too. A lot of games, like it's a, you get this random encounter, and then like you better be prepared. You know, like if you're walking around, you you know you're going to get into a fight, and um, unless you're able to run away, which is still usually in a lot of these games, running away is like a roll of the dice. Um, yeah, and I can honestly tell you, like, I it hasn't happened with the later games, but it might that might just be because I've gotten more used to how they work. But my earlier plays with these games, trust and believe, I did the demon conversation specifically to survive because I was yeah. like, I can't win, and I don't want to risk running. I'll take my chances <laughs> talking to them first. Yeah, to yeah. See if I can get them to just walk away. I bet they're set up that way to do that. Um, all right, so for my picks, I'm, I skipped ahead a little bit, um, it, it, rather than going starting from the beginning. Um, because so many years ago I played a lot of the earlier music. So I'm going to jump ahead to um, the third in the series, uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne for the PlayStation 2. Uh, I guess it's third, but I guess there's a lot of other games and spinoffs in between. Um, but this is on the PlayStation 2, composed by Shoji Maguro and Kenichi Tsuchiya and Toshiko Tasaki. And we're going to listen to the large map music, which is from the last area of the game. And it is pretty rockin'. So here we go.
<laughs> You're listening to the large map last area of Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne for the PlayStation 2, composed by Shoji Maguro, Kenichi Tsuchiya, and Toshiko Tasaki. And I feel like with this version into the PlayStation 2, you're still getting that really dark edge to the music. Um, this whole soundtrack has a cool dark edge to it, but it's, it still gets really rocking. It still has like some really jazzy tracks in it, but it's a dark jazz and it's a dark funk. Um, and I feel like this track really, um, I don't know, it has that feeling of like, like a storm, you know what I mean? Like a storm is coming. And so this being the last area of the game is, is perfect. It's perfect for that's a very, I think that's a very accurate description of what it represents, too, because, like, I'm saying this as a guy who I'll talk about why shortly, but never quite got to this point. The reason why that makes sense is because at this stage of the game, the general narrative kind of flies back to what I was saying before about the first game, where you are a person who ends up you start, at the beginning of the game, you start out like going to a hospital to visit your teacher who's like been out of school sick. You and your two friends go. And while you're there, you discover, ooh, scary, you know, dark cult <laughs> and crazy things happening. And it turns out you are summoned there by your teacher intentionally because she wanted you to survive what's called the conception, a.k.a. the end of the world. Uh, and when this happens, some events occur, and your main character becomes fused with this parasite that turns him into a half-human, half-demon. Um, goes by the demi-fiend, essentially. That's what people refer to him as. Um, and you are you spend the game traversing this wasteland, hopefully hoping to ultimately harness a power known as Kagetsuchi, which will allow you to build the world, rebuild the world in the image that you choose. Um, but throughout the game, you come across the two friends that came to the hospital with you. They get summoned to, they survive the conception as well. And unfortunately for them, they don't receive the same benefits you got. Um, so things occur and eventually things happen where they end up becoming candidates for this world rebirth too. And you ultimately find yourself either siding with them or fighting against them for your own purposes. And at this stage of the game, you've pretty much either chosen your side or trounced both of your friends. Mm. And now you're making the final pilgrimage to the Tower of Kagatsuchi to ascend it, make your pact, and make your stand and choose to rebuild the world as you see fit. So the storm's coming, all right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wash it all the way. Well, and, and that's player choice, right? They're, they're, they're giving that choice to the player. Mm-hmm. That's, like that's, certain choices you make throughout the game will determine who you end up siding with and how things play out and eventually you get to the end it's like let's go I like that I love the the second like there's the intro to this track and then like on the loop onto the second intro it adds this violin to it so that it feels like even though it loops that main section kind of that chorus section again it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound like a loop because it built back up in a different way so this whole track kind of spins and spins around and around and around and it feels like it's fresh every time it loops again so i'm assuming large map or last area is not just like you're looking at a map i'm I'm assuming it's like an overworld right and you're as you move around it you're you're getting involved in random encounters and stuff yep yeah okay so so that's good so that it's it's getting broken up and here and there but when it comes back to the track it probably still feels fresh still feels fresh that's that's really less little caesars a little more papa john (laughs) i'd start somewhere heard me say papa john's go no i don't damn papa john 
<laughs> a little, a little uh, it's, it's, it gets, gets, gets fresh. Gets a little more, uh, a little more like a local pizza place that um, is owned by nice people that we like, and and, and, and they're nice people. Now we're uh, talking. That's <laughs> the real deal. That's the real deal. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just it's what makes video game music, especially classic video game music that loops like this, really successful in keeping these loops um, sounding fresh to the player's ears over and over again. Um, and I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy this track. I enjoy the mixture of the, of the guitars and um, of, the, of the violin, all the instruments in this track. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that both of us have, have a lot of examples of the style of this dark, dark-sounding music for the rest of the show. So what's your next one? I'm not sure if my others will be, but I think this next one will be for sure because it comes from the same OST. So that oh, okay, helps. cool. Yeah. But this track that I'm about to play is likely the reason why I may have heard the track you just played in the game, but I don't remember it because I never beat the game because I spent a lot of my time in the Labyrinth of Amala from the game Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, composed also by Shoji Meguro, Toshiko Tasaki, and Kenichi Tsuchiya. Welcome back. You are not listening to Labyrinth of Amala. Instead, uh, you are actually listening to the Amala battle theme composed by Shoji Meguro, Toshiko Tasaki, and Kenichi Tsuchiya from Shimagame Tensei 3 Nocturne. And the reason why you're listening to a different track is because Rob's keen ears picked up on the fact that I did play this track most likely you're on episode 1 dash 4. Yeah, yeah it was. Yep. <laughs> I just a, wanted to hear it again. We played, we played <laughs> so, a lot from Nocturne. Our earliest episodes, like the first 10 or 15, our original format was we would pick tracks from the same game. Um, but we quickly left that format. <laughs> <laughs> like, let it go. It'll be terrible. But, like, at the same time, I'm glad I was able to pick this one at least then because 
both the dungeon exploration theme and the battle theme really stood out to me in the Amala Zone. So, so Shin Megami Tensei 3 in Japan originally came out on the PlayStation 2, but ever there was what there there was not there was more they could do with the game. I'm not sure if it was left out on the cutting room floor or if they just decided they wanted to add more content on their own. But as a result, there was more to be expanded upon, and. For folks like myself who were alive and waiting for it back in the day to get a localization, we were livid when Atlas kept kicking the can down the road saying, ah, we're not ready yet, we're not going to localize it yet. And that's because they were waiting on this expanded version of the game, which later became known as Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne Maniacs with an X. <laughs> um, and they added a few things, including the Amala network, or rather the deep Amala environment area, which included a new True Demon ending and Dante from Devil May Cry 3, which is where the funny meme of featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series came to be because it was this giant sticker slapped on the front of Shin Megami Tensei 3's release cover basically saying, you guys don't know about this Shin Megami Tensei thing, but we think you'll really love Dante. Come play and see what Dante's doing in this weird new game, um, which I thought was pretty funny because... Again, it just goes to show you, like, up for the most part, the franchise is extremely niche. And this was their way of trying to say, we can coax people to getting it. And worth noting, for folks who might not be aware, the reason why, the other reason why Dante ended up in this game, because it wasn't specifically for North American audiences, that was just a, con a convenient coincidence. Um, the reason why he ended up in the game was because he and the, like, basically the guy who designed Devil May Cry's artwork, and Kazuma Kaneko, the artwork designer of the original SMT Demons, kind of developed a bit of a friendship of sorts. And they made a deal where Dante would end up in Devil May Cry 3. But then in exchange, Kazuma Kaneko would design the demon forms for Virgil and Dante in Devil May Cry 3. So that's where their art design came from, was the guy who did the art design for Shin Megami Tensei Demons. So it's pretty good stuff. It made me happy because having Dante in this game was awesome, especially when he's hunting you through the Amala network trying to kill you. Uh, it was a cool setup, and then eventually he becomes friends with you, and he becomes a party member, and he's running around shooting things and all. Um, the one thing that's kind of dopey, and also worth noting, and I'll stop rambling, is the fact that uh, so this earlier this year, this got a port, like a remastered port on the Nintendo Switch and PS4 hmm, HD remaster. And even though they retained all of the original content, they made one surprising change. Um, and that is, somewhere down the line, they lost the license to having Dante in the game, supposedly. Okay. So what they did, instead of putting Dante in that section of the game, they put Raido Kuzonaha from the Raido Kuzonaha series, which is also a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei, and as the person hunting the demi fiend and then eventually joining uh, his party, I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say a foul mouthed black kid was going to be in the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no! Thankfully, at this point, Atlas is like people like the game. We don't have to hide stuff anymore. And make up dumb stereotypes to make them sell. Yeah. Um, but then they released it. They did end up releasing Dante as DLC after the fact. Oh, interesting. Which to me was just like, I don't like Dante enough to pay 10 bucks for him. I'm good with Raido. He's awesome in his own right. Plus he has a talking cat. So, even better. So, I personally love Shin Megami Tensei 3. It was the first actual Shin Megami Tensei official game to come to the States. Yep. Um, 
and I was excited for it because I could finally see what the game franchise is really like. Um, and I was not disappointed. Yeah, the, great the original Shin Megami Tensei for the Super Famicom didn't actually get a port into North America until it was released on iOS in 2014. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a long time. And even then, like, you, you got to play it on your phone. So, um, that's really sad. Very much so. Like that's the game. If there's anything begging for like a collection or something, it would have been these games. Yeah. So we're gonna switch gears here. We're going into Xbox territory. We're looking at um, Shin Megami Tensei Nine. This came out on the Xbox back in 2002. Um, we're gonna again switch gears musically with a track called Harajuku. Um, in all of these games, there's always like themes for different areas of Tokyo or different areas of Japan that you're visiting. Um, so this is the theme of Harajuku. Uh, composed by Masaki Kurokawa. <laughs> this is Harajuku from the game Shin Megami Tensei 9 for the Microsoft Xbox, composed by Masaki Kurokawa. Holy crap, that is a smooth, smooth jam. Oh, that's good. You um, mentioned earlier, but you said you said this would be a this is this would likely be a hammock approved jam session. I would imagine so. I mean that there's that 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 piano lick at the end there, that scabadabadoo, scabadabadoo is just <laughs> It's like it's funky and it's jazzy, but it's again it has that scary feel to it. I don't know what's going on. Like, because the bass is funky, um, the beat, the rhythm is is kind of kind of quick. It's kind of snappy, but there's something going on there in the background of these tracks, which is is just unsettling. Still, you know, just still something really unsettling. Um, uh, Hello, Mother Dear. <laughs> yeah, that's quite right. Um, so yeah, I don't know much about Shimigami Tensei Nine. I do know. That in 2002, um, they were they developed. Um, uh, a, uh, they wanted to make a Shin Megami Tensei that took place online, um, so not necessarily a massively multiplayer game, but a game that you can play with friends online on the using the Xbox network system, which then 
took way too much money and development went went on for way too long and that was scrapped for just the single player experience. Um, this game takes place inside of an online world as far as I know and not like in the real world like in the other games. Um, so, But what's interesting is that years later they kept the code for this game and then they, they actually made the online game on um, on PC and it's called Shimigami Tensei Imagine. And I have to have come across like fans who've like created private servers to host room sessions of the game. Uh, no kidding. Oh yeah, like I've never gotten into one because you know me playing games with strangers. But uh, <laughs> yeah, God, it feels weird. Like, like I'm five or something. Daddy told me no, no games with strangers. You know, I mean, that's like, just they say that, but then you go online and then you, and then you hear what the strangers are saying, and you're like, well, yeah, I can maybe do without them. That's fine. <laughs> yep, and I can tell you flat out, I what was it? This is like a quick tangent. Like, I had a review earlier this year for a game called First Class Trouble, which is an online-only game. And at this time, I was playing it. It was only with other reviewers. And I still was like, I need to get off this thing. This is skeeving me <laughs> Like, I wasn't even happy with that. It's like, this is a curated group, and it still sucks. Oh, um, that's, that's a shame. That's a shame. But, uh... Okay, here you go. So I, I learned a little bit more about this. So it does it does take place in an online world. It takes place in between the end of Shimigami Tensei 1 and 2. So it's after Tokyo's destruction, all of the survivors are sheltering in, in like underground bunkers, and there's an online world that they all kind of communicate in and they all live in together, and there's still demons and um, demonic beings appearing in this online world. And you take yeah, and so your role is to kind of go in there and fight these demons in the online virtual world, which is like I guess kind of makes. I mean, it's a little, I guess it's a little on the nose for a game they were intending to be an online game. Um, Well, one thing worth noting though is that just by the scope of how the games have always been portrayed, the demons are essentially data, which in some respects they postulate that humans themselves are also just data. That's deep. I don't know if I'm ready to handle this. This information. <laughs> We're all just data. No, I did We're read a book. Bit, ones was, and zeros. Oh, what was it called? I'm not sure if it's a classic sci-fi one, but it's um, in the in the book. There is a um, there's a scientist who creates um, a machine that you can edit your DNA. Right. So mm-hmm. you put in like. You, you map your genome and you look at your DNA sequence and you can just go in there and edit it and then put yourself in the machine and then give yourself the edited DNA. to like, you know, cure cancer, do all of these things, right? But the machine is taken over by this group of hackers, mainly one of them. And this hacker is like, oh, this is just code. You're just altering the code of humans. And so he goes in there and develops ways to just hack his own code and to do crazy things with his body. Now, ultimately... There is, I think there's aliens or there's some kind of um, like bioweapon being created that they have to fight using this DNA sequencing machine and work together with the hackers. But ultimately, the hackers hack their own bodies to give themselves like wings so they could change their bodies so they can live in space. They do all this crazy stuff. And, and it always really stuck with me that they just saw themselves, like if given the right tools, given actually given any tool, that, 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 that person with that mindset would be like, what else can I do with it? Because like, the hacker mindset is always doing something different other than in, doing something with it other than what's intended, right? 
And so oh, yeah. if you had if you had a machine to change your own DNA, what's the like what could you do differently? Like, oh the intention is to cure a disease and you're like, Well what if I wanted to grow gills and live underwater oh, yeah. for a while? So but I can tell you right now, yeah, like yeah. if I could edit my DNA in that scope, the first things I would have in mind would be I'm sure so there's like some jerks on the weirdos and like, I wanna give myself you large large nether regions or something. But <laughs> me, it would be literally like the idea of like, okay, I want to be able to, I want to be able to live without oxygen, um, which means whether it's gills or some way to process, you know, a, live in an area that has no oxygen, I want to be able to do that. So I figure out a way to pull that off. Beyond yeah. that, I want to fly. I want to mm. be able to fly. Between those two, th- after those two things, it just get weird at that point. I want a six finger. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I like that. So every everything is is based around not living on land anymore. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly it. I want to be able to. I want to be Try free. Different. Yeah. Free somewhere else. And you know, I think that makes sense considering the state of the world. All right. Moving on to our uh, your last track. All right. So this comes from. Uh, I noticed I skipped Shin Megami Tensei 2 because I also have the least experience with that game. I wish you go back and play it someday. I don't know why I have it. Oh, the whole lack of localization, Atlas. Thanks, buddies. Um, <laughs> but this comes from the game Shin Megami Tensei 4, not Apocalypse. This is the original one. Huh. And this is Pluto Castle from that game. And this is composed by Ryota Kozuka, Kinichi Tsuchiya, and Toshiki Konishi. Some familiar names from the previous tracks. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Pluto Castle from the game Shin Megami Tensei 4, released on the Nintendo 3DS. I see, no, the, yeah, 3DS. Composed by Ryota Kozuka, Kinichi Tsuchiya, and Toshiki Konishi. So, I have, like, a specifically, particularly fond attachment to Shin Megami Tensei 4, in that, one, I was, anx- I was anxiously anticipating its release and was geeked when it came out. Two, this game really helped me get through my gallbladder surgery because it was pretty much the game I was playing while laid up in bed, <laughs> waiting to get better. Um, I was obsessed with it. And then lastly, of course, is that this game 
helped me really get place a, re a new emphasis on the idea of like what I like about these games, which is that they really make you come to understand the demons you're using and what they can do. Because if you use incorrect demons at the wrong times, you're going to get wrecked. And there's an image, of, a particular image I took a picture of back in 2013 that I tend to share every time it comes up in my memories where I was fighting Asher as a boss, it's a really big boss. And there's a photo of my main character has, he has one hit point left and all of my demons are dead. And I just took like a Hail Mary final attack and he, he died. He was like, I can't believe I was beaten by a human. I'm like, I can't either. <laughs> because I was pretty screwed. I'm sure of that. Um, but SMT4 was very different, I would say, from the previous SMT games. In that it gave, it provided a fair bit more of sense of character to the NPCs you interacted with primarily in the game. A lot of times you would have like, you know, your law hero or your chaos hero, and they would pop up for an event here and there. And then eventually it's like, time to make a choice. What are you going to do? Um... Or in the case of the third game, or in the second game, they kind of travel, or the first game, they travel with you, but not a ton happened. It was more like every once in a while they'd have a, a line of commentary, they would say, and then you'd have to make the choice. <coughs> but in SMT4, they were kind of like companions with you throughout the entire game. Hmm. They have general conversations about all the stuff they come across and see. You uh... can learn about who they were as people, their interactions, and then when it's time to make that choice, two things. One, it's a harder choice to make because you've come to like everybody you've been hanging out with. Now someone's got to die. Um, but then also, it's not necessarily a one-to-one -one choice because you make a lot of choices throughout the entire game. And each of those choices has a secret number associated with it. And at the end of the time when you have to officially make your call, if you haven't reached a certain score from your choices, you can't go the other way. Oh. So... There's like this bar where it's like between negative 10 and positive 10, you get the neutral route. Anything above 10, you get lawful. And anything below negative 10, you get chaos. And the, apparently it's really hard to naturally get the, between the neutral route, which is in between the 10s. And I pulled it off and was shocked when people were like, oh man, how did you do that? I'm like, what do you mean? I just did it. Does that mean um, that play, being in that neutral area, you were able to do, like, to use lawful and chaos, like, demons and, and, and do both both sides a little bit? Well, in this game, they don't have the, you can only use certain types of demons. It's just, anything goes. Oh. But, on the lawful route, you ultimately end up having to, uh, you pretty much side with, like, that game's world of, like, version of God. Um, on the chaos route, you side with Lucifer. Um, but if you take neutral, you side with humanity instead. Mm. Oh. So you all you basically take out both, you know, better just Merkaba. You take out both Merkaba and Lucifer, and you side with the, the humans to save humanity from being under either's control. Which I was the that was the choice I wanted, so I was glad I was able to actually yeah, do it. Because I was like, cool. screw these guys, their <laughs> dogmas suck. Um, but this particular track, and one thing I liked about this game also, I'm not going to spoil how or why you come across this. But uh, this plays in an alternate world or an alternate version of Tokyo that you go to. And in this alternate version of Tokyo, God decides that humans are no, don't, they don't deserve to exist. And he pretty much nukes, nukes the world. And the place you end up in is called Blasted Tokyo. It is a desolate wasteland version of Tokyo where the last remnants of humanity live underground. But God decides that's not enough. You all need to die. So he sends something known as Pluto down. And Pluto pretty much injects poison into the world, slowly killing it. 
So your main team ends up having to go to his stronghold to kill him to stop him from doing it to save humanity. And it's an interesting, like, you know, scenario that takes place there because your characters are all talking and discussing, like, why would this even make sense? What is this? What's going on in this place? You know, but it's really cool. Like, I, I love this freaking game. It deserved a lot more love than it got. That's for sure. But at the end of the day, I played it backwards and forwards and I would do it again if I had the ability to spend extra time redoing <laughs> gameplay. I suck at that. I feel like the 3DS and the PSP, to some degree, both had a lot, like, a, a much larger library of these uh, JRPGs that probably wouldn't have been released anywhere else. You know, they found a home on these handhelds, mainly because maybe maybe because it was cheaper to develop or, or, or to um, to distribute on those devices, or maybe because it was easier to spend more time on RPGs on a handheld device that you could just sort of pick up and play and put down. I think in the case of Atlas, though, in some respects, it may have also just been that by this point, they had the vibe that the Shin Megami Tensei line had enough clout behind it to say, hey, let's start pumping these games out. We already got them in, the, in the Japan. Mm-hmm. It's not going to hurt us to localize it. I see. So, like, for example, we got Soul Hackers here for the 3DS. Soul Hackers was a game that originally released on the Saturn, and I wanted it badly enough on the Saturn that I actually had a friend bring it back from Japan with him. And I have the Japanese game here that I tried to play, unable to read it, <laughs> but I played up till like the second boss, making random choices in all the dialogue menus and <laughs> demon summoning areas. Um, but it got localized and I bought it and I was ecstatic because I was like, finally I can play Soul Hackers. Um, because there you go, they hack, they hack souls. Uh, get it? Um, but then, like, there's other games that end up getting that play, too. And then, of course, Devil Survivor, which you've heard me say is, like, my, one of my favorite games probably ever. Yeah. Um, it's just they finally started giving it the, the clout, the love that it deserves. But ultimately, majority of those games are all spinoffs mm-hmm. of this original line, which, let's be real here. If you already like a game world enough, what's wrong with more spinoffs? Spinoffs allow you to do things that the mainline series outright can't do naturally. Yeah. Or tell, or to tell more stories around it. I mean, ultimately, all of these games are based off of a novel, a Japanese novel series, a science fiction series, um, called mm-hmm. something, something Megami Tensei, Devil Summoners. So... Um, I still want to watch the movie, too. Apparently, there was an anime movie oh, as wow. well. Wow. I never watched. Yeah, big, big following. So, um, my last track is another spin-off. It's a spin-off of a spin-off. So the last game was Shin Megami Tensei 9 for the Xbox. It was um, development for the online version was then picked up by Cave and brought into Shin Megami Tensei Imagine for the P- for Windows for the PC. We're going to listen to this tra- the song Kuroi Battle composed by Kenichi Yoshikawa and Daisuke Matsumoto.
and we're back. You're listening to the Kuroi Battle from Shin Megami Tensei Imagine for the PC, composed by Kenichi Yoshikawa and Daisuke Matsumoto. Um, that is really good. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty sad. So uh, I know the, the character Kuroi is one of the first, I guess, like online people or NPCs that you meet in the game. Um, later to discover that she. Um, within the branch between the online world and the real world had left the um, the main player to die essentially so and, and decide with Satan or Lucifer or whatever the, the evil entity is in this, oh in so this she game. abandons him yeah she abandons him so I'm, I'm thinking that, and, and there's all there's there's multiple opportunities for the player to battle with Kuroi and um, in the last one you kill her dead for good so this is probably when that song plays um being one of the first NPCs that you meet, you probably are intended to develop a relationship with this person and then having to, um, you know, eventually kill them. It's probably not the most, you know, more revelatory than it is exciting, right? So, so uh, it does make me wonder, being a Megaton game, I wonder if it ends up being a choice or if they pretty much force you down the narrative arc to have to kill her in the end. That's a good point, especially with this being um, an MMO or essentially an MMO. Um, I, I, I really have no idea. Um, this game was in development for over a year when it was with Atlas for the Xbox. And then when it was picked up by Cave, it stayed in development for another four years after that. Um, wow. and, from, and from what I've read, people in Japan they really loved this game. And so it makes sense that you know people that, that, have, that are hosting their own servers to, 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 to continue playing these games. Um, that, oh, yeah, that, fan, that fan community is deep. Like, I... I can't. I, I barely scratched the surface of it. I'm just like, hey, I like Mega Ten games. Yeah, like like maybe that it's just not because it's just always oh, another Mega Ten game. Let's all get into it. That it's actually a, a really well developed um, online game, especially after being in development for so so long. It's interesting that um, you know it came out yeah as as successful as it was. So very very cool. Um, so we're gonna turn this little smooth track down, and we're gonna get into the part of our show we call the bonus round. Bonus round, bonus round, bonus round. Shaba, Shaba. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nice. Um, the, the bonus round is where we play covers and remixes and arrangements um, based on our theme, all produced by Shaba Rex. No, um, I don't know why we got into Shaba Rex, but um, so yeah, covers and remixes. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot out there for Shigami Shimigami Tensei. Considering how long the series has been out and how, and how well how well loved it is, um, there's a lot of music out there. So, what did you find? Funny enough, I actually didn't go remix or cover this time because I thought it was interesting. In that, speaking of things that you know have been in development for a long time, mm-hmm. SMT Five was in development for a, a surprisingly long amount of time, and it will be out soon. And one thing I may have mentioned earlier in the show that there was a period back when they were like first announced the game on like a Nintendo Direct that fans were like trying to like strip the OST off of the of the trailer, <laughs> yeah, so people could listen to the battle music more and whatnot. And people were obsessed with it. I being one of them. But fortunately now, even though the game itself is not out yet, uh, re- review releases have gone out. I know a guy who's already beaten the freaking game, and I'm jealous because I wanted to review it despite already buying it. Didn't care. Just wanted to play it quicker. Um, but as a result of that, that also means that much of the OST is kind of leaked too. Mm. Um, one of which being the battle theme from the game, which I have been listening to quite a bit since like August. 
only with weird sound effects added into it. <laughs> but thankfully, this one does not have it anymore. So let's try listening to the battle theme from Shin Megami Tensei Five, composed by Ryota Kozuka and Toshiki Konishi. Welcome back. You're listening to the battle theme from Shin Megami Tensei V on the Nintendo Switch, composed by Ryota Kozuka and Toshiki Konishi. And that may well be one of the rare times I've actually said on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about it. Like, I didn't feel familiar to say at all. Um, but yeah, I genuinely felt excited to be able to pick that track for the show. And I, like I said, you don't understand how much I've been looking forward to the OST for this game. Like I said, I've been listening to E3 sound clippings where I literally would hear monster screams during the actual yeah, track or looking, like menu option picks. I was looking at the comment section on YouTube and it's like, oh, this song's great, but I really miss the bird cawing and all these other like, and I was like, oh, there must be like sound effects that everyone's referencing mm-hmm. from listening to the soundtrack over and over again from gameplay that was recorded from E3. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a trip, man. But like it just goes to show, like there there was there's been a fervent desire for this game to come out. Like it's it's been a long time coming, and thankfully reviews seem to be on the positive side for it thus far. Um, even some of the lower ones, they're like not for reasons that I would be concerned about. Like I think IGN so far was like the lowest one of like an eight. But their reasoning was that it wasn't enough like Persona 5 
Which I'm like, that's good, because Persona's the spinoff, and it's a spinoff because it's like Persona. <laughs> so, that's good. So, no problems there. Um, so, I'm looking forward to this. Like, when this game comes out on Friday, mm-hmm. I'm disappearing. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> We're not going to see you for a little while, because I know this is you're going to be all in on this one. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't get to play much of Neo because, you know, I let reviews consume me. Mm-hmm. And Psychonauts, I'm finally getting around to messing around with now. But I'm not letting that happen with this game. Yeah. When this hits, I'm hitting it. Something about that. Something, something about that. And something about knowing that certainty makes me feel safer. You know what I mean? Like, we live in a world where Pranel will drop everything for a new Shin Megami Tensei, you know? And, and, and that's it's the familiar world. Yeah. It's like if you go to like you end up in a parallel reality. It's like how do I know I'm in the real world? Pernell, what do you think of Shimagami Tensei? Yeah, it's okay, I guess. But call you know what? Doctors. I really want to no, play Peppa Pig. We need, we need help today. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like Shimagami Tensei, and he really seems to be excited to play Peppa Pig. That's a problem. Yeah, we got. We, <laughs> we gotta, need help. We got to help Pernell. Um, all right, so my uh, bonus round track is coming from the consoles. The nice little jazz group, the consoles. Ooh. We're listening to the track Tokyo from Shimigami Tensei 4, composed by Ryote Kazuka and performed and arranged by the consoles. I was not expecting this. Yeah, this came out um I think they I think they recorded this this year. So this is a new one.
That was Tokyo from the game Shin Megami Tensei 4, composed by Ryota Kasuka and performed and arranged by the Khan Souls. And definitely one of their more smooth, like one of their smoothest tracks ever, 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 ever. I love, I love that guitar solo when it pops in there. I know you were bopping to it. Oh, heavens, yes. <laughs> I was love. I mean, it doesn't hurt that Tokyo, the Tokyo theme from SMT4 is up there for me as like tracks. I'll listen to that in the Wayno district mm-hmm. from that game are just like freaking fantastic. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah, and they, and it's just, it's not just, I think already like a great song to begin with, but like there's so many interesting chords and, and, and the, the notes just hit and really in ways you're not expecting in that track. So uh, I really, really love what the consoles did. I love what they do with everything, but I really love what they did with that track in particular. So for more information on the bonus round, go to rhythmandpixels.com and we'll have links to their Bandcamp and SoundCloud and, and, and webpage and everywhere where you can go buy the music and support these artists. Thanks for joining us on this episode 30-3 of Rhythm and Pixels. This is our second go-round, second merry-go-round on the Shin Megami Tensei series. I feel like we've covered a lot more this episode than we did so many years ago. Um, Everything from the Famicom to the PlayStation to the PC, all the way into the Nintendo 3DS. This game game is everywhere, honestly. Um, And the last track we're on listening to is, is uh, again from Shimigami Tensei 3 uh, Nocturne 4 4 4 this is 4 oh this is Nocturne sorry no, no this is Nocturne you're right never mind. I'm just sleeping okay <laughs> no, you can't be sleepy I'm the sleepy one <laughs> touche no that's sleepy s'more sleepy s'more oh sleepy s'more yeah yeah I guess we're, I guess we're all a little sleepy right now <laughs> <laughs> um, I've talked about this before but like playing through I played through a fan translation of I started to anyway of um, Shimigami Tensei for the Super Famicom on a ROM on an emulator rather and it has a very dreamlike quality to it you know i think it has to do with the way you travel through these um the areas and through the dungeons in that first person perspective it just feels like it feels like a dream like almost kind of tunnel vision it's very interesting actually now i'm trying to think i think this is from four see I'm, that's how i know i'm tired i'm like i'm crossing wires but like i feel like this is four <laughs> No, I'll know for sure when we're ducks. I'm going to look it up. That's the OST that I found this on was uh, number 12, Shimigami Tensei Nocturne. That like- reminds me. I think I think you'll laugh at this because I don't think this happened to you, but this is still pretty funny. So, you know, I love Garbage Pail Kid cards and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know that a lot of people tend to like, you know, collectors. They sealed. I want a sealed pack. I want them sealed, you know, authentic. I'll pay twice, three times the price for a sealed pack. So apparently this guy... Bought like three packs of Series 11 Garbage Pail Kids. So for those not in the know, this series was released in 1987. Um, he had a mail to him. And he went on. Yeah, he went on YouTube. He was like, I'm going to do a live opening of these new Garbage Pail Kids. And he had like his gloves on to keep the, from getting his oil on the thing on the cards and everything. He's opening these packs uh-huh. up of Series 11 cards, and I'm looking. I'm like, those are Series 10 cards. <laughs> I'm like, 
I went, I was like, thankfully, I think somebody ended up commenting. Right, but I was like, I was ready to go. I was like, dude, uh, I don't know who you bought. Oh, I did comment. I was like, I don't know who you bought these from, but I think you might want to contact them about selling you falsely resealed packs because these are clearly Series 10 cards. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just like reading to watch this guy. He's all excited. He's like, hissy missy. Ooh, that's a cool one. Okay, next one. Bud Sucker. Oh, because he's a vampire sucking blood at a hospital bed. That's cool. And I'm like, Series 10 cards out of a Series 11 pack. That guy told you they were never opened before. And he even left the gum stuck on the back of the one card to make it look more authentic. That's just double shady. But oh, so, so this got they me were, thinking they, about they that. repack the Series 11. Yep, oh, the guy gosh. took the cards, put them in, the, in an old pack, resealed the wax on it, and then sold them as unopened mm. packs of cards. Well, when you're listening to Rhythm and Pixels, look for the Rhythm and Pixels seal of quality so that you know you're not getting a repackaged uh, Rhythm and Pixels like bootleg you know, uh, uh, South <laughs> Korean version of Rhythm and Pixels. Um, you know, we are we are the true thing. We're the real deal. And note, this was not a bootleg Shin Megami Tensei episode. No, this is a new one. This is series two. This is series two. Shin Megami yeah, Tensei. That's right. Series two. I mean, I mean, we can't we can't just rehash the originals. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm I'm really happy that we went back into this uh, this series again because there's a lot of really really good music. I mean, we could do easily do four more episodes on the series maybe five before even getting into like the spinoffs into persona so uh but these this is, these are awesome so um if you would like to contact the show if you have a track suggestion or a topic suggestion please send us an email rhythm and pixels at hotmail.com for access to all of our episodes and for a track listing from all of our episodes go to our website RhythmandPixels.com. Uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You can find us as Rhythm and Pixels. You go to YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. We um, upload our episodes there. And we have a 24-7 uh, VGM radio station that plays 8-bit and 16-bit classics and deep cuts. And it just goes and goes and goes for as long as that little desktop will last in my closet. Just playing constantly. Um, if you'd like to support the show, the best thing you can do is to tell people about it. You know, just tell your friends, tell tell anybody that'll listen about the show, <laughs> or you can press the subscribe button um, wherever you are listening. If it's on YouTube or if it's on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, bake it into your conversations. Yeah, just bake it in. Just bake it in like like a cookie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you'd like to support us in other ways, yes, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash rhythm and pixels. Um, as a member there of our Patreon, you get access to uh, usually a weekly prequel episodes and you get access to a monthly live streamed patreon episode uh, at all levels and then at the higher levels you get um, cool stuff like stickers and mugs and um, exclusive t-shirts i think a lot of that merchandise is actually on its way out uh today so that's really exciting to me that stickers and and, and mugs are going out to our listeners so you can check if you see this mm-hmm. i was gonna say just like if you get one take a picture of yourself drinking from the mug we want to see the mug yeah i want to see your mug with the mug so put those mugs together and take a picture of your merch that would be really really cool a toast uh, we also like to thank our listeners at the end of every episode at the at our at the highest membership levels and my browser nearly crashed that's okay <laughs> we'd like to thank uh frankly zappa thank you very much uh, Kristen, Mike Myers, Alf Person, Vashon8060, Andreas Milberg, Brian Pitt, Cameron Worma, uh, Camille May Leon, uh, Carlos, 
Chris Wisner, a.k.a. Musashi219, Christopher Senstrom, Davey Cakes, David Taylor, Harold Howard, Justin Schneider from XVGM Radio, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version VGM Podcast, also Mebri64 on Twitch, uh, Rage Cage, Reinhardt Zelkova, Sleepy S'more, there she is, uh, Steve Miller, Taco, the Autistic Gamer 89, and Ed Wilson from the e, from the VG Embassy. 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 Sounds like now he needs to do a, a new episode called the EVGM Embassy, where he's like, he invades electronic gaming monthly. Oh, I like the EGM, the EGM Embassy, and it's just, yeah, it's just him reading through copies of EGM. I like, I like that a lot. I would listen to that quick. He's got a great voice. He could just, I think he should do like, he could do voiceover work and I would just listen to it. He's got an excellent, excellent voice. Um, So yeah, that's it. Our next episode will be the Patreon Monsters episode. So kind of the... Monsters. Kind of the ending of our Halloween series. (laughs) Halloween series. (laughs) Halloween on Thanksgiving? Sure beats Christmas on Thanksgiving. Yeah, right? So yeah, get, get as much Halloween as you can. Hope you're still hope you I hope you're still hanging on to that candy. Hope you've uh, kept it in the house and, and hanging on to it and, and just making it stretch out as long as you can until Christmas time. You better, yeah, because I can tell you right now, I can't speak for everybody, but in this area, on Halloween night, stores were out of Halloween candy. The fabled leftovers discounted candy sales did not happen. Yeah. I was shocked. Well, you know what? I, I bet you can still find peeps. <laughs> God, God, don't get me started. I've been looking. I've been looking for those and conversation hearts. You can't find them. (laughs) Well, anyway, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, Next week is 30-4 Monsters. It's going to be a good time. Um, We'll see you next week. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. We'll see you next time. And remember, so I mentioned earlier in the show about the whole issue with how like people decide to you know review certain games and how people receive those reviews and the content descriptions and all that um and in some respects it's almost like a a secondhand version of like being told how to have fun or what you should think of something or whatever but it's worth noting that discussing your tastes and hobbies and interests and your difficulty mode choice hard all the way by the way um is you know, it's all well and good and fun. I mean, everybody likes different things and they like, they like things for different reasons. And being able to convey your reasons for liking or disliking or how you would prefer to enjoy your fun, those are great conversation options. That's what part of what makes video gaming a social hobby and not an isolated hobby, discussing how you like your games. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's cool to just out, outright insult people or be vindictive because someone doesn't like something in the manner of which you like it. I mean, no one's required to like anything at all. This is all meant to be fun. It's all meant to be something that takes you away from the insanity of actual day-to-day life. So don't make it such a big personal affair. Just talk about things you like, discuss and you know mutually share your differences, and then shake hands and go back to having fun because that's what it's all about in the end anyway, right? Heck with all the drama behind it. I just want to play a good game. And however I choose to do it is my business. But I want you to know what that business is. <laughs> so 